<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 362. It's titled, Should You Invest in Bitcoin ETFs? Today, the first U.S.-based Bitcoin exchange-traded fund launched. It's the ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF, BITO. There'll be another ETF by Invesco that is linked to Bitcoin that starts trading tomorrow. This is by no means the world's first Bitcoin ETF. That honor goes to the Purpose Bitcoin ETF, BTCC, which launched in February 2021 and trades in Canada. In Europe, Jacobi Asset Management yesterday were given authorization to launch their own Bitcoin ETF. Bitcoin ETFs are coming, but they're not all the same. The Canadian ETF actually owns Bitcoin, as will the ETF by Jacobi Asset Management. All of the U.S.-based Bitcoin ETFs won't own Bitcoin. They will have positions in Bitcoin futures. And we'll see in this episode that the performance of investing in Bitcoin futures will be very, very different from investing in Bitcoin. Why is it that the U.S. couldn't approve an ETF that invests in Bitcoin? There are funds that invest and hold Bitcoin itself. There's been one in place since 2013. It's the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. It has over $39 billion in asset under management, and it owns Bitcoin directly. GBTC is structured like a closed-end fund, in which there are a limited number of shares that trade on an exchange, and like other closed-end funds, there isn't a mechanism to keep the market price of the fund in line with the net asset value, or NAV. The NAV reflects the true value of the shares, as it's calculated by taking the total value of the underlying holdings, less any debt, and dividing it by the number of shares outstanding. GPTC currently has a discount of 21%. The market price is 21% lower than the inherent value of the fund. That means an investor can purchase a dollar's worth of Bitcoin for 79 cents. Now, one of the downsides of GBTC, it has a 2% expense ratio. But there was another closed-end offering similar to GBTC that launched in February of 2021. It's the Osprey Bitcoin Trust, OBTC. It has a much lower expense ratio of 0.49%, but it's also selling for a discount, a 23% discount to net asset value. So there are funds in the U.S. that you can buy that own Bitcoin. Yet, 
the U.S. Security and Exchange Commission will not authorize an exchange-traded fund that can buy Bitcoin. ETFs have some significant advantages over a closed-end fund. An ETF is a marketable security. It trades on an exchange. It seeks to track a specific index or segment of the capital market. There's also some actively managed ETFs that aren't tracking a specific index, but are investing in a certain style. An example is the $19 billion ARK Innovation ETF, ARKK. It's a transparent active ETF that discloses its holdings every market day. Many active ETFs are non-transparent and only periodically share their underlying holdings. What made ETFs so innovative when they were launched is shares can be created or redeemed on an ad-needed basis. So unlike a closed-end fund that has a limited number of shares, and if there's more demand for those shares, the closed-end fund can trade at a premium, or if there's insufficient demand, it can trade at a discount to the net asset value. ETFs can create and redeem shares as needed so that the market price stays very close to the net asset value per share. This is done through authorized participants, which are primarily large broker-dealers. Those authorized participants are able to purchase and redeem ETF shares directly with the ETF sponsor. Everyone else has to buy the shares on an exchange. The authorized participants can earn a risk-free profit by buying and selling ETF shares directly with the sponsor, as well as in the open market, in order to take advantage of any price discrepancies between the intraday indicative value, which is effectively the net asset value, and the market price of the ETFs. They can do that by buying or selling short the ETF. They can buy a reference basket that represents the underlying holdings of the ETF. I won't go into any, a detailed example in this episode. There is one in my book, Money for the Rest of Us, 10 Questions to Master Successful Investing. But simply put, there is this mechanism with ETFs that won't lead to a 20% discount to the net asset value like you see in GBTC. It would be wonderful to have an ETF in the U.S. that could own Bitcoin, but we don't get one of those yet. The reasons are purely regulatory. There's a regulatory battle as to how and who should regulate cryptocurrency exchanges and cryptocurrency products. Gary Gensler is the chair of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. He took over as chair in April. Gensler has a background in cryptocurrency. He taught classes on blockchain technology at MIT. But he's described cryptocurrency trading, lending, and the platforms as a Wild West. He says the asset class is rife with fraud, scams, and abuse in certain applications. In early August, Gensler shared some remarks before the Aspen Security Forum. He mentioned before starting at the SEC, he had researched, wrote, and taught on the intersection of finance and technology. He taught courses on crypto, finance, blockchain technology, and money. He said he believes there's a lot of hype masquerading as reality in the crypto field. 
But that Satoshi Nakamoto's innovation that launched Bitcoin with an eight-page white paper published in 2008, that that innovation is real. And it has been and could continue to be a catalyst for change in the fields of finance and money. Gensler said that Nakamoto was trying to create a private form of money with no central intermediary, no central bank involved, no commercial banks. We live primarily using public money, dollars, euros, yen, yuan, and those public monies are functions that we've discussed many times on the podcast, a store of value, a unit of account, in a medium of exchange. We use money because we believe it will maintain its value over time. Even though if you hold the dollar over long periods of time, the value goes down relative to goods and services that could be purchased because of inflation. Money is also used to do accounting. If you read an income statement for a company that trades in the U.S., that operates in the U.S., the revenues and expenses are accounted for in dollars. We also use this public currency to, to buy things. Gensler points out that no cryptocurrency, at least yet, performs all three of those functions in the same way that public money does. He says crypto assets provide digital, scarce vehicles for speculative investment, that they are highly speculative stores of value. So they do do that, and they have done very, very well, many of them, Bitcoin, Ethereum, at a store of value. Highly volatile, but they have definitely held their value relative to public currencies and many goods and services. Crypto hasn't been used extensively as a medium of exchange. Gensler says that if it is used to exchange goods and services, it's to skirt the laws. I disagree with that, and we've discussed that on the show. Only a small portion of transactions in cryptocurrency is to break the law. Gensler says he's technology neutral, but he's not neutral when it comes to public policy. The role of the SEC is to protect investors and maintain fair, orderly, and efficient markets and facilitate capital formation to invest in projects. But at the core, he sees the SEC as protecting investors. It's fine, he says, that investors want to speculate in cryptocurrency, but he believes that the crypto market, crypto tokens, are unregistered securities without the proper disclosures or market oversight, and that they should be regulated, as should the exchanges. The futures market, including Bitcoin futures, are regulated by the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, the CFTC. Up to now, cryptocurrencies are not regulated, particularly cryptocurrency lending. I have an account at BlockFi where I deposit stablecoin and I earn interest. BlockFi is under a lot of scrutiny right now. A number of states are saying it should be regulated, that these are securities. And I agree. A cryptocurrency lending product is a security. Coinbase was seeking to launch one this summer. And the SEC said, if you do, we will sue you because this is an unregistered security. Coinbase, in turn, has said that they 
believe there should be a new regulatory regime, new rules, new organization, new laws to regulate cryptocurrency because the existing laws are inadequate and don't really fit the special case of cryptocurrency. So as I see it, it appears that the SEC will not approve any ETFs in the U.S. that hold Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies directly until there is a more defined regulatory framework for cryptocurrency exchanges and cryptocurrency. GBTC, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, would love to convert to an ETF and get rid of that 20% discount, but that doesn't seem like it's coming anytime soon. As a result, U.S. investors if they want a Bitcoin ETF, have to invest in a Bitcoin ETF that is linked to Bitcoin futures. But Bitcoin futures are very different than actually owning Bitcoin. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one program and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. With everything getting more expensive these days, it's wise to find ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. You can do that with NetSuite. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com david. That's netsuite.com david. netsuite.com david. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. LaPro and I spent last week in Virginia. We toured Thomas Jefferson's home at Monticello, George Washington's home, Mount Vernon. The home in Mount Vernon is very interesting. They use a process called rustication in which the wood of the building, they engrave it so that the wood looks like carved stone. So they cut it and they bevel it, the wood siding. And then they apply sand to the surface to imitate the texture of stone. It's not really stone. It's a derivative that looks like stone. Monticello is made out of brick, like real brick, except turns out Jefferson also used rustication to make brick 
look like cut stone. Futures are not the same thing as Bitcoin. The primary reasons to use future contracts, leverage, and liquidity. With a futures contract, you don't have to put up the entire amount, only a portion of the amount. For example, the Bitcoin futures contract, its value is based on five Bitcoin. A futures contract is an agreement to buy or sell a specific asset at a future date. So with the Bitcoin futures contract, that asset is Bitcoin, but the size of the contract is five Bitcoin. At a price of over $60,000, one Bitcoin future contract has an underlying value of $300,000. But if you go to a broker and you want to enter into that futures contract, go long, speculate on the rise of Bitcoin, you only have to put up about $110,000. So that margin account, that $110,000, will go up and down significantly based on changes in Bitcoin because of that inherent leverage. That is an aspect of futures contract. In fact, I read a paper by the CME that hosts the Bitcoin futures contract and gold futures, and they were comparing gold futures versus a gold ETF. A gold ETF owns gold, gold bullion. The vast majority of gold ETFs own the actual physical gold. And CME, the author, pointed out, well, gold futures, you get this leverage that you don't get with a gold ETF. That should be the case with Bitcoin. You can buy a Bitcoin ETF and it should own Bitcoin. But no, it owns Bitcoin futures, which have this embedded leverage in them. Now, the Bitcoin ETFs that are linked to futures, they're going to have a lot of cash because of the leverage aspect. They're not going to be levered exposure to Bitcoin. They'll generally be just as volatile as owning the Bitcoin themselves, but the performance could be significantly different. Michael Saper, who's the CEO of ProShares, said the ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF, the ticker's BITO, will open up exposure to Bitcoin to a large segment of investors who have a brokerage account and are comfortable buying stocks and ETFs, but do not desire to go through the hassle and learning curve of establishing another account with a cryptocurrency provider, or are concerned that these providers may be unregulated and subject to securities risk. Now, I can understand the idea that a crypto exchange like Coinbase is not regulated and there's potential securities risk there. Maybe that's one reason to buy an ETF. But to buy one so you don't have to go through the hassle and learning curve to understand what in the heck you're buying, that's a terrible idea. We shouldn't buy any investment or speculate on anything unless we understand the return drivers, understand the nuances, which is why I think a Bitcoin ETF that invests in Bitcoin futures is an awful idea because many of those investors have no idea how the futures market works. Many of them probably just think they're buying Bitcoin, and they're not. Here's an example going back to gold. Now, as I mentioned, there is no gold futures ETF that just seek to replicate the price of gold. The closest I could find was the ProShares Ultra Gold ETF, UGL. It seeks to generate two times the daily performance of the Bloomberg Gold Subindex, 
The Bloomberg Gold Subindex is an index that tracks the future price of gold. It's levered, so two times. Its 10-year annualized return was negative 4.8%. The 10-year annualized return of the iShares Gold Trust, IAU, that actually owns gold, was 0.3%. So an ETF that seeks to double the return of gold actually lost money and trailed gold itself by 5% annualized over a decade. On a five-year basis, the ETF has matched the price of gold. It hasn't achieved twice the return. Now, the ETF's upfront that it seeks to replicate the daily price of gold, not the long-term return of gold, and it falls short of that for two reasons. One is just the mathematics of compounding, an asset that is more volatile, If it loses a lot, it has to earn more to make up those losses, and that can cause it to trail. But another reason it trailed was due to negative roll yield. And it's negative roll yield that is going to impact the price of these Bitcoin ETFs such that they will potentially trail the price of Bitcoin itself by 10 to 12% per year. An ETF that invests in futures, be it Bitcoin futures, oil futures, VIX futures, will enter into a futures contract. And then when that futures contract is about ready to come due, the ETF sponsor will exit that futures contract and they'll buy another one that expires a month later. That process is known as rolling the futures contract. Now, if the futures contract price increases during the holding period, then the holder will earn a profit. But here's the problem with these future contracts. You see this in oil. Oftentimes, you see it in the VIX volatility ETF, and you definitely see it in Bitcoin. The price of the futures contract one month out is typically higher than the current spot price, which is the market price of Bitcoin And it's higher than the current futures contract for Bitcoin. For example, right now, the October futures contract for Bitcoin is priced at $62,935. That contract expires in just a few days. The Bitcoin ETF would exit that contract and they would enter the November 2021 contract, which is selling at 0.7% higher, $63,400. Yesterday, the November Bitcoin contract was 1.4% higher than the October Bitcoin contract. What happens then, if Bitcoin never increased in price, because the ETF continues to roll over this futures contract, always paying more for that next month's contract than what they exited the current month contract, that leads to a performance drag. Matt Hogan, he's chief investment officer at Bitwise Asset Management, which also has an application for a Bitcoin futures ETF, said the all-in cost of a futures-based ETF could be in the 5% to 10% range once you take into account the annualized roll yield. Roll yield is the performance difference of owning the underlying asset, Bitcoin, versus owning the futures contract. A 5 to 10% drag simply because of rolling over the contract. We see this in the oil market. USO, the U.S. oil ETF, invests in oil futures. Now, you can't buy a barrel of oil, but if we look at the spot price of oil, it's down about 10% on an absolute basis 
over the past decade. Ten years ago, it was selling for $79 a barrel. Now it's about $71 a barrel. If you invested in USO, your return over the past decade was negative 14.5% annualized, a cumulative return of negative 80%. So even though oil had lost 10%, an investment in a futures-based oil ETF lost 80%, simply because of this negative roll yield. That is also the case for Bitcoin. If Bitcoin never goes up in price, it stays at $62,000. An investor in a Bitcoin ETF will still lose upwards of 10% per year, just like an investor in a U.S. oil ETF lost 10% per year due to negative roll yield because oil didn't really appreciate in price. BITO, the prospectus, the ProShares Bitcoin ETF, is very upfront about this. They write, when rolling futures contracts that are in Contango, and Contango is the name for this upward sloping futures curve, where the later month contracts, the futures price is higher than the current month contract and the spot price. Continuing, when rolling futures contracts that are in Contango, the fund would sell a lower priced expiring contract and purchase a higher priced, longer dated contract. The price difference between the expiring contract and the longer dated contract associated with rolling Bitcoin futures is typically substantially higher than the price difference associated with rolling other futures contracts. In other words, the negative roll yields higher for Bitcoin than it is for oil or for VIX. Bitcoin futures have historically experienced extended periods of contango. They continue, contango in Bitcoin futures market may have a significant adverse impact on the performance of the fund and may cause Bitcoin futures to underperform spot Bitcoin. May is a pretty high likelihood given how bullish investors are with Bitcoin. Back in April, I considered taking the opposite trade because the contango was so high. It was 4 to 5% per month. So an investor could short the Bitcoin futures and go long Bitcoin, hedging the Bitcoin exposure and basically just collect this roll yield. It was a trade that could generate 40 to 60% per year based on the contango situation with the Bitcoin futures curve. Bottom line is then, don't buy these new US-based Bitcoin futures ETF. They will lag Bitcoin. If you want to speculate in Bitcoin, learn how to buy Bitcoin on an exchange like Coinbase Pro and move those assets into cold storage, into a wallet. Go ahead and go through the hassle of buying Bitcoin so you can understand the asset. I use the Treasure wallet, T-R-E-Z-O-R, to hold most of my Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency. Don't buy Bitcoin on Robinhood because you can't transfer the Bitcoin to another exchange or to a wallet. They make you sell the Bitcoin and then you're going to potentially incur the capital gains tax. Recognize that Bitcoin is a speculation. I agree with Gensler. Cryptocurrency right now, it's, it's speculation. And there is a lot of hype. I also agree there should be more crypto regulation, including for crypto lending, crypto exchanges, and I look forward to seeing more of that. 
It frustrates me that these regulatory battles basically are keeping the SEC from approving a Bitcoin ETF that actually holds Bitcoin, that instead investors will be buying these Bitcoin futures ETFs, which are subpar, in my opinion, given we could actually own the real thing, but that's what they chose to do. And finally, crypto is not going away. It's a market that's evolving. So we should be involved in it and learn about it. Go through the hassle of learning about cryptocurrency. Now, there are many, many other asset classes we should be learning about. This shouldn't be all of our investment time just focused on cryptocurrency, but it is a larger and larger part of the market, $2 trillion or more. It's where many of the innovations are taking place, so we need to be aware of it, learn about it, not go overboard in our speculation, and certainly, in my opinion, not invest in these U.S.-based futures ETFs, primarily because they're not the real thing, and they will underperform and lag owning Bitcoin itself. That then is episode 362. Thanks for listening. I'd like to help you become a better investor. Certainly the free podcast helps with that. But have you subscribed to my email newsletter? It's where I share an essay on money investing in the economy each week to that list of thousands of email subscribers. I put a great deal of thought and time into that newsletter, and I would love you to be able to read it and learn from it. You can sign up for the Insider's Guide newsletter at moneyfortherestofus.com. Another way I would love to help you become a better investor is by you becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. This is the premier investment education platform that's been operating for almost seven years now. Plus membership gives members the tools and resources they need to manage their investment portfolios. Not only can you tap into my more than two decades of investment experience, look at my portfolio trades. But my research is backed by top-tier institutional research partners, such as Ned Davis Research, Capital Economics, MSCI, Refinitiv Data Stream. I curate the most important content and lessons to help you make better portfolio decisions. You also access a community of over 1,000 members to get their insights. Money for the Rest of Us Plus is a bargain compared to a college credit or subscribing to institutional research services that cost tens of thousands of dollars per year or even hiring a financial advisor. You can learn more at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week. 